Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on, y'all give it up for Ben right now. Come on. If y'all don't know Ben, you need to know him. He is uh, Transformation's most eligible bachelor right now. He is on our team, and he works with all of our serve teams. Has a heart for just you and, and you being on our team and just making things flow smooth as our serve team coordinator, and so he's an amazing guy. Hey, it is good to be in God's presence today. Man, he's so good. I just want, I just pray, my prayer for you this week is that God manifests his goodness to you in, in, in a supernatural way, that, like, like, that it's undeniable. Like, this is the goodness of God. It, it, the Bible says that God is good and he does good. And so he, he, he does out of who he is. And so I, there's nothing he doesn't do that isn't good. So I just want to encourage you. We are in a series uh, called Fire Away. I've, I've got a couple more weeks of this, and then we're going to have um, uh, a good friend of mine in at the end of the month. How cool is it that church falls on Halloween? That's awesome. And then we're going to have an encounter that night. Uh, it's going to be a powerful night of worship on the 31st. And so just going after God for, for an extended amount of time and just watching God move. Come on, as they're out there doing all their spells and doing their devil stuff, we're going to be in here worshiping Jesus. <laughs> You know, I know y'all got dead stuff in your front yard. Y'all talk about, y'all, y'all, you, you guys get all worried about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's spooky. Yeah, you'll watch every horror movie, every ghost show. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll, you'll decorate with the dead and you'll be like, Holy Spirit, that's weird. Tongues is weird. It's weird having the dead things in your front yard. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna talk about that next week. I'm gonna teach all on the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit next week and prep you and get you ready for Halloween. Y'all good for that? It's going to be a great series or great, uh, you know, day next week. Don't, a lot of you had questions in Fire Away about the Holy Spirit. So I'm really going to cover a lot of the gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, what does that mean? And, and, um, and the power and the gifts of the Spirit and those type of things next week. Baptism of the Spirit. And so the Bible talks about many baptisms, not just one water baptism. It talks about many baptisms, and it's really been left out of Christendom because the enemy's done an amazing job of scaring the church and making us think it's spooky, you know, but we'll buy into everything else in the world. But when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, Satan does not want us to have the power of God. And so we need to really learn and, and open up our heart to the Bible. And so we're going to look at the Bible next week. Um, I am going to jump in. I'm going to just kind of do more popcorn um, question today. There's a lot of questions, and so I'm going to just kind of quickly hit a bunch of questions. Not going to be tons of scripture on the screen for you. Uh, I will reference scripture. So some of you are like, he didn't, he, you know, I don't want you to like, he didn't use the Bible. I'm going to, get, I'm going to use the Bible, and uh, I'm going to share scriptures. It'll be uh, kind of just jot it down if you're taking notes. Um, if you're new to our community, uh, usually, you know, every week we gather around the person named Jesus, we worship him, we lift him up, we exalt him, and uh, we believe that he's alive and well, and that he heals and delivers and sets free and brings life change. Um, we don't gather only around pro- uh, uh, principles or philosophies, we gather around Jesus, and uh, we really believe that if Jesus is here, anything can happen. And as his word is preached, anything can happen. And so I want to encourage you uh, to open your heart up to him. Uh, this series has been a little different every year. Uh, I take questions and just kind of, it's called fire away. You get to fire your questions at me and um, I answer these questions. And it's been um, some tough, tough topics I've, I've tackled the last uh, couple, couple of weeks. And so um, I'm praying that people aren't here because of the game and they retired last night, not because of what I've been preaching on hot topics. Like, but, but it's been really good for, for all of us, really. I think we've got to get a foundation and we've got to get back 
to the Word of God. And uh, promise, I love that Jesus Week shirt you had on in the announcements, man. That was really a really cool shirt. Um, and so, I know, I got a little ADD. Calm down, guys. It's okay. Uh, the, um, the, I think this series, Fire Away, uh, answering your questions, answering t- tough topics, we got to be able to talk about them. And so I'm going to run through the, really a list of your questions uh, today, talk about the Holy Spirit next week, and uh, we're going to end that in, in October. And then November is going to be just really a vision month where we talk about vision and what's coming for our church. So uh, the first question, how, how many of this has this series helped? Has this helped anybody? Oh, good, good, awesome. Uh, here's, here's the first question. How can I operate more in the anointing of the Holy Spirit? So I'll talk about some of that next week, but... But this says, is there something that I can pray about or do or explore in God's word to operate more in the anointing of the Holy Spirit? So a couple thoughts. Paul said, I desire to come to you. In Romans 1.11, Paul said, I desire to come to you that I might impart some spiritual gift. And so if you've ever heard about impartation or laying hands on an impartation, a lot of it comes from this verse in Romans. And so Paul literally says the word anointing means like, like a gift or it's charisma or some type of uh, gift from the Spirit that you can function in. And so Paul said literally uh, that when he was coming to Rome, he wanted to pray for them and lay hands on them that he might impart some spiritual gift. Some theologians say he didn't actually impart anything. Some say he just wanted to share the gift he had and it was just sharing so that they might be complete. I, I kind of the other way. I think it's kind of both. I think if I share something with you, I give it to you. <laughs> like if I share my food with you, you eat it, right? And so you get to partake of it. And so Paul said, I want to impart, I want to share uh, some of the spiritual gift so that you may be established. That's Romans 111. So I think that, that to, to operate in more of the spiritual gifts, that's why we do encounter. That's why we have prayer partners. That's why we have ministry team. That's why we talk about laying hands on. The Bible is big about laying hands on. There's a power that is, that's laid on our life through people praying for us and believing uh, with us. And then, and then another verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says this, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Again, same word, gift. Paul said, I want to impart a gift. Gift, charisma, earnestly desire the best gifts. So I think the way to get more is desire more. And I don't think Paul would say to desire it. That's in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Paul wouldn't say desire it if that wasn't the way to get it. He wouldn't want us to desire something that God's never gonna give us. And so if you're interested in going, how do I operate in prophecy more? How do I operate in the gifts of the spirit more, the power of God? I see those guys. Have you ever noticed somebody else is, is stronger than you in lifting weights or something in a gym or can run faster? You ever notice that somebody's stronger than you in your faith or in praying? You ever notice that? And you ask why? Because they're stronger than you. <laughs> we're allowed to say that. Like We're like, oh, no, everybody should just be the same. No, no, there's the strength in the spirit. There's getting in the word. There's praying. There's desiring. There's being hungry. There's sitting in the front. I mean, there, there's putting your hands in the air. Those are just receptors. They're re- receptors to, the, to the, the move of God. Why do we put our hands in the air? It's not just an act of worship. It's, a, it's an act of reception. Like, God, I need you. I want more of what you're doing in my life, Right? You see a little child when they're walking to their parent, their hands are open, they're stumbling, they can barely walk and they just want this hug. Like we're God's kids that can barely sometimes function. We just, I just, I'm just open, God. I just need you in my life, right? So, so how, do we, how do we function more in the spirit? I think that's one of the ways. Desiring. Um, how far should Christians go in submitting to government? Come on, that's a hot topic right there. Um, I, I would say um, there, there have been things called conscientious objectors where like people that don't want to take up weapons or don't want to go to war throughout the years or, or the government's issued one thing and they object to that. I think there's issues of conscience 
um, that you can object to if it's against your conscience. I know we're facing a lot of things right now where there's a big divide and debate about different things. I think Paul said the things you put in your body are of your own conscience. And so I think that's fair. I think also, I think you have to obey the government, you know, to a degree. God said the government's been given authority and been given uh, power uh, to, to, to mete out uh, protection and justice and those kind of things. In Romans 13, the government carries the sword uh, to, to, to hold civil law. And so I think it's powerful um, to obey the government. Now I would say um, there's some areas that you can disobey. I would say if it's immoral, illegal, unethical, unbiblical, or abusive. I think those are some areas you can go, wait a minute, I kind of object to that. And, um, and now I would say as well, you, you need to be willing to pay the consequences of what that objection might be. I don't know what those are. Um, the Bible says we do suffer for Christ. And so there's obviously different levels of suffering throughout the nation and throughout the world. We haven't seen the type of suffering many nations suffer in the name of Jesus. Um, so I think, again, um, if it's one of those areas, there can be kind of a conscience um, objection, but, it, but, but you need to be prepared to pay those consequences. And you don't, you can't, don't break the law. Like, don't be stupid, right? I mean, if, there might be things you need to object to, and there's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. And um, we know in our country, in a democracy, um, there's certain ways to do that. And so I think that's important. Um, what is the correct theology for taking of a human life? That kind of goes right in line with the government. And so, um, you know, Paul said that the government's been given the sword to, to enforce justice. There's an entire debate around, um, you know, the death penalty and those kind of things. I'm not going to get into those topics today, but, but I think it's okay to pr- protect your life if your life's in danger or your family's life's in danger or someone else's life is in danger, that you're within your means. The government gives us uh, the ability to do that. And so, I think that, that we're allowed to, um, I don't think it's encouraged, like, let's just go take people out, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, you just, if you're just ready to take people out, you need to come to the altar at the end of service, okay? Uh, I think that, that we're, and you know, it's important, um, but yes, I think we can protect ourselves. Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And so a lot of people want to live by the sword, but that says you die by the sword. And then, and then people say, well, isn't Jesus against weapons and whatnot? Jesus said, don't take a sword with you when his disciples were with him. But when he left, he said, now I'll tell you to take two swords. That was a weird verse. And I can't, I don't know what, I can't explain it to you. I don't know if Jesus was advocating, like, protect, I think, protect yourself. Like, if there's wolves out there, like, be careful, right? Jesus said, take two swords now. So I think there's some things in that. Um, how do you enter God's rest and then live in it? Um, I'm gonna talk a lot about this next week, but I would say, uh, praying in tongues. Uh, I'm not sh- shy to say that. Like, if you go into 1 Corinthians 14, um, Paul is teaching us about praying in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, and he goes back and forth between private use of that and public use of that. And so a lot of people got confused about that. But he does some, something weird. He yanks out of context Isaiah 28. And, and in Isaiah 28, he, he's, he gives an explanation of, about tongues. And he says in Isaiah 28, he says, uh, for line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here, a little there, with stammering lips and an unknown tongue, I will speak to this people, but they refuse to listen. For this is the rest that I've promised. This is the refreshing. Oh man, it's so powerful. And so if you'll study out with me next week in Corinthians 14, I'll show you some things that Paul does. And I think for me, that's how I stay in rest. And I would also say Jesus is our rest. And so how do you rest? Just believe him better. Just believe Jesus more. Um, how do you handle parenting in two completely different ways? 
the kids have already figured out that dad lets them get away with a lot more. Come on, Jesus. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the yes dad. I want, my, I, want, like, I, want, I want my kids to come to me. I want to say yes all the time. I'm, yeah, I love you. Yes. Uh, let me go on to this question. I feel like when I set rules, so obviously this is a mom speaking because it goes on. She says, I have to check up on him. <laughs> she, she says, I feel like when I set rules, I have to check up on him because he doesn't enforce them. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one doing the work. So, so here's, the, I think, the heart and the, and the problem in this, in this scenario here. It says, when I set rules and I have to check up on him. So let me just say this. At the root of this question, there seems to be an expectation gap and a unity gap. And so it isn't necessarily that he's not enforcing the rules and you're doing all the work. I think the, the problem is maybe he's not coming to the table and working with you to, to get on the same page and you guys need to set the rules together. You have preordained rules, right? And preordained expectations. And so you can be on the same page there and not feel like you're fighting against each other. If he's not willing to do that, then I would say get some help, get some counseling in that so y'all can get on the same page and in unity. I think some of my wife's big and I's biggest struggles have been when there's an expectation gap, when, when I'm not doing what I need to be doing, but, and, and I haven't set that, she hasn't set that expectation or she has, and I haven't taken the time to unify and to set that up. And then to hold, then now we can both hold the kids accountable or hold the home accountable in what we've unified around and it's preordained expectation. Does that make sense? Um, I feel stuck in my job and my relationships and my finances, can I get a little water, baby? You're so awesome. Would you guys give it up for my wife? You look good, baby. I feel stuck in my job, relationships, and finances. I've been praying and keeping faith for over six months now. How do I keep pushing forward in my faith when nothing is getting better? Let me say this. Stuck and stale are two different things. Stuck and stale are different. This, this question said, how do I keep pushing forward when I feel stuck? You don't push yourself out of a mud pit when your car's stuck. That's the problem. You're trying to push yourself out yourself. If you're stuck, you can't get out. If you're stuck, you need to get some prayer. You need to get some partners. You need to get some gravel. You need to put it up under your tire. Come on, anybody ever tried to put the gravel under their tires? You get a little funny, little sticks up under it. Does, that does, you got to get a lot more than just, you need to get some things around you to help you get unstuck. That's prayer. That's people. That's pastors. That's connection. That's friendships. That's some people pushing you from behind. Come on, and, and, and getting there and helping. The, you ever had, you have to rock the car if it gets stuck and keep rocking it. Sometimes stuck is, it takes a lot of momentum and people to help you get momentum in your life when you feel stuck. So, so if you're stuck, get people around you. If it's stale, if your job is stale, your finances are stale, your relationships are stale, then make some changes. Drive to work on a different route and thank Jesus. Get some new scenery. Go up on the roof for lunch. I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, sometimes things can get stale. Make, you know, change it up, change the scenery. And, 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 and so I just stale and stuck are different. If you're stuck, get some people around you. Um, when you're preaching, oftentimes you pause like you want to say something but haven't been released to say it yet, or you're not going to say it yet. Is this true? I laughed at this. Usually it's, I'm wondering if my wife's listening or not. <laughs> so it is true. I do, I do pause, and sometimes I don't say it because, you know, my wife is listening. And, uh, and I've probably matured a little bit over the years. <laughs> oh, y'all are laughing too hard at that. Like, I, like I have matured. Um. And so, yeah, I think sometimes, and I, and I would say this also, the minute I preach something, uh, and the minute I preach something, the green light button of judgment begins. 
What I mean by that is this. All of hell's job is to steal revelation from you and I. So the minute I throw revelation out in the air, now I know all of hell is going to come to attack you to, to, to take it. And so I've got to be careful what I throw out there because I don't know what battle you can handle or not. And so same for me. So whenever, whenever you know, we throw something out as far as revelation, it's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to live it. And Satan's job is to steal it. And so, and so we, I am careful about what and how. We're very prayerful about the series and the sermons we preach. And, uh, you know, I look at my wife and I say, can I teach that? And some, there's been a couple of times in my life she's like, you ain't ready to teach that. <laughs> she's like, you need to work on that, you know. And so, so I want to make sure that I'm putting out who I am, not just some, some sermon. Does that make sense? Um, how do we defend the gospel in a loving way? Be loving. Know the truth. I think there's a whole term out there called deconstructionism right now where we're just going to deconstruct our faith. Can I just tell you that that's junk? That, you know, deconstructionists don't build anything. We're called to build our faith, not deconstruct our faith. We're called to build our faith. You you know, I mean, I I think that it's, and, and the Bible says no scripture is of private interpretation. Peter talks about it. He says no scripture is of private interpretation. You can't get along with the Bible and make it say whatever you want it to say. And so, and so scripture interprets scripture and we need the ancient fathers of the faith and the church history and, and theologians and people to get into our life and go, okay, and here's where I'm going with that. You need to know the truth. And I think as you know the truth, counterfeit uh, FBI investigators don't study counterfeit stuff. They study the real stuff so that they can know counterfeit when they see it. And so I think our job as believers, when it comes to defending the gospel, I never really, really see anything in the gospels about defending the faith. I don't see that. I see just living the faith. And so I know it's all, you know, apologetics and defending the faith. We're just called to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's defense enough, right? A good defense is a great offense, right? Come on, somebody. And so, so I think the more you know the truth and the more when someone doesn't have the truth, if you look at what is happening in culture with deconstructionism, they're taking the truth apart little by little. I mean, over the years, it's been a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. It's not all at once. It's a little bit. So if we just, sometimes our tendency is to swing in the opposite pendulum and just come out blazing. I'm going to defend the truth. The reality is, if we just know the truth and we just seed it a little bit, 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 and then all of a sudden, people begin to receive a little bit. The Bible calls the kingdom leaven. There's bad leaven and there's good leaven. The kingdom is like leaven. If we just put a little leaven out there, all of a sudden now, people are able to discern truth when they hear falseness, false doctrine. So I think the best defense is for you to know the truth so well that you little by little put it out into people's lives and they see it. Is that good? That makes sense? I would say don't pendulum swing and begin to try to destroy everybody and fight everybody and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't work. Um, do you believe that corporate fasting is needed? Yes. Uh, how often do you do it? When God calls me to. Uh, but every, every January, we do a corporate fast as a church for 21 days. Um, and we do 6 a.m. Come on, this year, 6 a.m. Everybody say 6 a.m. Monday through Friday. And then Saturday morning uh, from 9 to 10, we worship together. So we'll have that this year. It's called Pray First. Uh, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Where do you see Transformation Church in three, five, and 10 years? Um, so let me give you a 100,000-foot view uh, the church's purpose is to, uh, the only purpose of the church, three-part three purpose, worship God, equip the believer, and reach the world. That's why we exist. Worship God, equip the believer, and reach the world. And so what are we going to be doing in three years? Worshiping God, <laughs> equipping the believer, 
in reaching the world. I mean, we want more campuses and we want to reach more people and we believe in for salvations and, and baptisms and all those type of things and, and international missions and campuses in, in other nations and those kind of things. But, but the point of all that is those three things, worship God, equip the believer and reach the world. Um, is there any sin that God will not forgive? Uh, the Bible says that he won't forgive blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And um, there's a couple thoughts on that. Uh, I, I believe both. I think um, the first thought is that if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's not necessarily that, that's, you, that God doesn't forgive a sin. It's that the Holy Spirit's the one that convicts of sin. And so if we push the Holy Spirit away, then there's no other way that we can ask for forgiveness of the sins in our life that we need forgiveness of. Does that make sense? And so pushing him away, then we can't even ask forgiveness or we can't even say sorry. And then Jesus does say in the context of this verse, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. The context is they were saying that Jesus cast out devils by, devil, by demons. And so, so they were calling a work of the Spirit demonic. And so Jesus says, in that context, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. So I think that it's very dangerous to look at like something the Holy Spirit does and call it demonic. Does that make sense? Um, and so I, I don't, uh, that's, those are the two areas I believe in that. Why does sickness occur to good people? Um, and, and sometimes there's bad things that happen. I would just say this, we're in a broken world and um, sin is real. Frailty and weakness are real. Uh, sickness is still an enemy. Death is still an enemy. Um, and I would also tell you that we fight a real devil, a real, a real demonic forces. And so um, in Mark chapter four, verse 17, you can write this down. Um, and, and I would say to you, like when, you, when bad things happen, God is not doing bad things. God is not the author of bad. And so people say, well, did he allow it? Did he let it happen? All that, and they get into this debate. Let's just settle the debate. Listen, we have a real devil, a real enemy. God is good, devil is bad. If you get anything out of today, God is good, devil is bad. And, and we're in a fallen, broken world. And so, you know, in Mark 4, 17, it says this. It's talking about the seed of the word. It says, and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Listen to this. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So all, all, Mark right here in chapter four settles the debate. All tribulation and persecution come into your life to steal the word of God. Everything is coming into your life that, that's not good to steal God's word. And so I'm not saying that it's because of sin or your sin. or just there's a, We're in a broken, sinful world. And so things that come into our life, we gotta keep in mind. I think the important thing to keep in mind is that God is good. He's not causing car wrecks on your life. He's not causing cancer. He's not causing sickness. The Bible says that every good, and you gotta know the word, guys. Every good and perfect gift comes, out, comes down from above, above in which there is no shifting nor shadow of turning nor variableness, meaning that God never varies from good and perfect ever, not even so much as a shadow. And so, so we fight forces, right? So that, I think that's, there's a lot of that. And I would say this, God's not moved by need he was moved by need, there'd be no need in the planet. There'd be nobody hungry. God's moved by faith. God's moved by you hearing his voice and responding in faith. I'll go and feed the children. I'll go and pray for the sick. I'll go and believe and quote verses and quote scripture. God's moved by faith in our life. And so I think that's important. Uh, what does the Bible say about a tattoo? Come on, all you tattoo. Who's got a tattoo? Come on, somebody. Anybody here? Everybody's like shy in church, like I, I don't have one. You don't know what I'm gonna say yet. Revelation 19, 16 says this, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think Jesus has a tattoo across his leg. So. 
That's <laughs> what Revelation says. It's, and, on his, and he has on his robe and on his thigh. It doesn't say the robe on his thigh. It says on his robe and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. Uh, how do believers set boundaries with verbal and emotional abuse, abuse of spouses? I would say get counseling, get help, get somebody, out, get somebody involved from the outside, get a pastor involved, quit, quit hiding, quit covering for him or her. And, and get help. Um, if, we're, if we are to await judgment and, uh, and the dead in Christ rise to meet and ascend to meet those who are still on the earth, how is it that we go to heaven uh, or hell when we die? I don't, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present from, with the Lord. So I think that when we die, immediately our, we're present with God or we're in, in judgment. And then there will come a day when Christ returns. And I think that's when the bodies that are dead in Christ rise to meet those that have already risen. Uh, and we receive kind of not our old body, but, but the new body. And so I don't, I don't know some of those mysteries, but um, I think we do die. And immediately we're in the presence of the Lord, according to Paul. Uh, can you explain the kind of fear we're supposed to have of God? I think we're supposed to have an awe and a reverence, a respect, kind of like a wow. Like if you're not wowing every day, then you need to, you know, check your wower. Um, you know, I just think like you can just look at the mountains, look at the sunset, look at something, and there's just this awe, this ah, wow. Like you look at the ocean, it's just, it should over, be breathtaking how, how big and vast he is. That kind of reverence and awe. Um, I have, uh, I gave my all to a dude, and he gave me a promise ring, and it ended up getting another female pregnant. My question is, can I come back from that? Yes. Um, and should I continue with him? No. <laughs> when people show you who they are, believe them. I'm just saying, you forgive him all day, but run like crazy. Run. Uh, how do you work on a marriage with a spouse that has anger problems? Again, get outside help. Um, how, do I talk, how do I talk and deal with friends that have religious trauma? <laughs> I don't even want to get into that thought, but um, that have religious trauma from toxic Christians. Let, let me just say this. Anybody can be toxic. It's not, I mean, we all, have, we all are humans, right? And I would say, how do you deal with that? I would say, ask him this. Have you ever had a bad meal at a restaurant? Yeah. Have you ever gone back out to eat again? Yeah, I mean, it's just, just practical. Like, I think we've all experienced something bad or something painful, and I don't think we ever stop. I mean, I think there's no perfect church, but I think we're allowed to, to say, okay, Jesus is the head of church. We're not going to de-head. We're not going to behead Jesus. Everybody says, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like church. It's impossible. We're his body. He's the head of the body, which is the church. And so quit decapitating Jesus from the body and saying, I love Jesus, right? And people say that because they have gotten hurt, but I think we all get hurt. And that's the point of family and community and praying for each other and forgiving and coming back together, uh, believing God. Is that good? I got a few minutes. So I got, and I, I want to talk to you real quickly in a minute about divorce. I, I was going to say real quickly about divorce. By, by the way, my mother and father have been married seven times between the two of them. So if anybody's ever questioned if you can make it back from divorce and from trauma and those kind of things, this is, I mean, look, my wife and I have been going on, 20, we're going on 21 years of marriage, three wonderful children, not perfect, you know, but we're working every day and, uh, and I've seen all types of problems and, and God's used my life. And so I would say um, divorce is not the end, but I want to share some thoughts on that. Um, 
uh, how, let's see, why support Israel widespread among Christians? Uh, should we look at both sides, Palestine critically? And there's two sides to every story. It seems one-sided. I would just say both sides need Jesus. Come on, uh, all, all the people in the Middle East need Jesus. Come on, we need Jesus in America. We all need Jesus. Uh, I'd love to hear your take on the following. A person gives their heart and life to Jesus at a young age, then had a life crisis and turns away, and now they do not profess to be a Christian. Are they still saved? Um, I, I think that only God knows that. I think that's between God and, and, and their heart. If they really prayed a prayer of salvation and trusted God for salvation, um, I asked God into my heart at 12 and ran hardcore into the world partying and really turned my back on God. But I, I, was, I remember the moment I asked him to be my savior. And I would say this, at that moment, Holy Spirit began to chase me and I couldn't get away. So if that moment in your child's life is real and they really are a child of God through that moment, and then the Holy Spirit will bring them back, draw them back, woo them back, wrestle them to the ground, do everything he needs to do to bring them back. So be encouraged. God can, can get them back. Um, I, I don't know about them actively denouncing. I never actively denounced God or being a Christian. So I think actively denouncing is risky. Uh, does that mean risky, like risking your salvation? I don't, I don't know. Um, I, my kids, if they denounce me, they're still my kids. You know, and so, so they're still in my family, uh, but it is going to hurt the relationship, hurt our life together, hurt the fellowship. Does that make sense? And so I think there'll be a lot of pain through that, but that's risky. Um, how is it possible to live and seek a relationship with God, but still feel alone? Adam, it says that he was perfect in perfect fellowship with God, but it was not good for him to be alone. And so I think if we look at, at this, that, that we can be pursuing God and have a really good relationship with God, but still feel alone. And so I would encourage you, the question goes on to say, what do I do about that? I would just, I would say, get into community. Take off your mask. Admit that you feel alone. Talk to somebody. Get some friends around you. Be a friend. You know, and, and, and I know it's risky, like, but I think, like, get, open up. I would say this, action defeats discouragement. Many of you are so discouraged because you're not putting any action to your faith. Action defeats discouragement. So whether it is sowing, giving, praying, get, not just coming to church, getting on a team, caring about others. Not, it's not getting on a team just because we have to have somebody holding the door. We can get the door, but there's an action in that. There's a faith action that begins to change your life and your feeling and your heart. It's, it's a powerful thing. So and then if you do feel alone, you're dealing with anxiety, depression, trauma, you probably, you might need medical help. You might have some chemical imbalance. You might need some deliverance. You might need some counseling. You might need all of them. And so I would encourage you, uh, I think the enemy sometimes comes with a spirit of heaviness on us and attacks us with that. Uh, I'll be just upfront with you guys as a pastor, the spirit of heaviness or, or discouragement can attack me a lot, oftentimes. And so I was on a, on a getaway with my wife. We were in Florida and uh, doing a wedding down there. And um, literally, everything was great. We're having an amazing trip. I promise you, literally, the minute I crossed the Tennessee state line, I crossed over the Tennessee state line, I just began to get bombarded with discouragement. And I looked at my wife. I said, I'm just getting hammered right now with discouragement. Like, hey, you got to pray for me. And then I called up a, 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 my, I have a friend in the faith who holds me accountable. I have a consultant that we, we pay as a church, but he's a, he, he works with me and our directors. And every month we get to talk to him and say what's going on and how we're leading. And I told him, I said, man, I'm dealing with discouragement. He said, man, this is what you need to do. Go up to Johnson City, and there's this other pastor up there I know, and, and get him to pray for you and rebuke discouragement. I did that. The two days later, I went up there. I obeyed, right? 
Like I think, I think there's a way to battle these things is through, through openness and, 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 and obedience and letting people speak into your life. Um, what are we made for? Uh, why are we created? Um, we were created to worship God. Uh, Chris and I were talking at a, at a football game the other day and he was talking about Lucifer and I said, Lucifer was the worship leader and he got thrown out of heaven. Y'all know the story. And Chris goes, who took his place? I said, we did. He was like, whoa, that was deep. And it did. We both kind of just, just basked in it for a moment, moment, you know, like, like God decided, oh, you don't want to worship me, devil? Okay, I'll raise up dirt to do your work, you know, <laughs> worship, you know, come on, I'll put my <laughs> breath into the ground and let it worship me. I, I just think that our call is to, to worship, and it, that's why I'm so passionate about worship and you engaging in worship and, and getting engaged in that. And I think, and then, and then in Genesis, it says we were called to tend and to keep the garden. Tend means work. Somebody, look at somebody and say, you better work. If you, if you didn't obey me right there, I'm going to say it again. Look at somebody and say, you better work. <laughs> you got to put some, you got to put something in it. <laughs> Uh, we're, everybody said work is a curse. No, no. The sweat of your brow is a curse. Not being fruitful is a curse. And am I helping anybody today? Some of y'all are looking at me like, this ain't church. Yeah, I'm just trying to, just trying to share my heart. Like, like Jen, it, says, it says work. Like it's a blessing, work and purpose and destiny. And the Bible says, I get people all the time. The, the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. The Bible says, if you don't work and take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel and an unbeliever. Go get a job. You're made to work. And then, it, and then the Bible says, keep, tend and keep. What's the word keep? Keep actually means guard, which means we know that Adam knew there was an enemy in the garden, a devil, a demonic force that he was ha- having to tend and guard. And, and so listen to me, dads, moms, uh, parents, you, you have a job to guard. There's a devil trying to infiltrate your marriage and family and kids and home. And our job is to tend and to work and to guard. That's the job. And then we, and we're called to do good works in Christ. Man, I didn't get anywhere that I wanted to get. I got so much here. All your questions, man. Y'all ask too many questions. Why, why did God create a devil to torment our lives? He did not. He created the, the Lucifer to worship him. Lucifer was the angel of worship. He had all of the worship that flowed through his body every morning, and it went up to, and ascended to God. And then Lucifer decided that he wanted to keep some glory. He got thrown out of heaven. This is about a three-part question. So we were made uh, to worship God um, and, and in God's image. Uh, why would God not want us to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Um, I would say this, because the tree had good in it, but it also had evil in it. So why did God not want us to eat from that tree? Because God wanted to be your only source of information. And, and, and obedience has to have a choice to be love. There's gotta be a choice. And so, and so we were given a tree to choose not to eat because there was a command of obedience. And, we, and love, love obeys. Love sacrifices, right? So there was this choice, but... I'm gonna teach my kids about money. I'm not gonna take them to a, to a drug dealer to do it. I'm gonna teach my kids about sex. I'm not gonna take them to a prostitute to do it. It's not about the information. It's about the source of information. Does that make sense? And so, and so here's what Satan did. Satan said, God doesn't want you to eat from the tree because he knows when you do, when you eat from the tree, you'll be like God. They already were like God. So God's lie to you every day, I mean, Satan's lie to you every day is that God's holding out on you. 
that God's trying to keep something from you. Well, you know, if you quit living unholy, you're not going to have, well, if you quit, well, if you just, if you obey here, well, if you tithe here, you're going to, well, you're, and Satan just wants to constantly tell you that God's holding out on you and that you're not going to be blessed. And so I think in this, in this instance, God wanted to be the only source of info. And then, and then I'll end with this. Um, it says, and why did God ask where, where you are, Adam, when he was looking for Adam? And I, I, would, I would tell you and, and myself that God is constantly, God knows where we are. God knew where Adam was. God is constantly wanting you to self-identify where you are in relation to God. He's constantly wanting you and I to go, God, am I, am I hiding? Adam was covered with leaves. He was hiding. He, was, he had shame. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says he was naked? Naked. <laughs> I go naked. It's naked to me, Southern. I'm, I'm from the South. He was naked and, and, and without shame. But then all of a sudden he gets, he gets God says, why, why have you covered? What, where are you? He says, I was, I was ashamed because I was naked, Right? He was already covered with fig leaves. He'd already put the leaves on himself when he said that. So, so shame has nothing to do with externals. It has all to do with internals. It has all to do with what's going on in your heart. And I would say shame off of you. God's always wanting to get shame off of you. But in order to get shame off of you, you have to first identify where you are in relation to him and be honest with that. And God's saying, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Jamie? Where are you, Sandra? Where are you in your walk with me? Where are you in your, in your heart? Where are you internally? Does that make sense? Man, I give you a lot of stuff today, and, and um, next week we'll look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let, me, let me say this, because I told you I was going to talk about divorce. Um, I want to say this. If um, Jesus talks about divorce a lot, Paul talks about divorce, and there's a couple passages about divorce. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands if you've been divorced or anything like that. Let me say, if, you're, if you've been divorced, God does not hate you. Um, people, one of the questions that came in said, I've been divorced. Everyone says, I can't get married again, that God hates divorce. In Malachi, there's a verse that says, God hates divorce. Um, I've experienced divorce. I think all of us would say we hate divorce, but that doesn't mean we hate the people that have done that or perpetrated those things or had that in their life. And so, so if you have gone through divorce or, or you're going through that, I would say that God doesn't hate you. Um, Paul gives a couple reasons for divorce. Jesus gives the reason for sexual infidelity or adultery. Um, Jesus says that the man or woman can be responsible. That was kind of new for that day and age. Jesus says Moses allowed for divorce and, and, and gave a certificate. So they were just writing certificates, just divorcing everybody. And Jesus says, hey, I say, and he goes back to Genesis and says, hey, what God puts together, let no man separate. So Jesus gets to the heart of it and goes, I don't want you living like this. Marriage is a big deal. Like, let's quit treating it lightly. Like, if you get into it, like, the disciples were like, my God, they were scared when Jesus taught about divorce. They were like, well, man, it's better to stay single. Like, it should be a big deal. Like, you're not, you're not getting into it to get out of it. Like, that's how our society just thinks we can get out of it. As Christians, you know, there's sexual infidelity. And then, and then Paul says there's some abandonment things that happen. It says if two people are married and one is an unbeliever and one's a believer and the unbeliever leaves, then you're, then you're, not, you're not bound to that marriage any longer. And, and there's some debate and, that you can be abandoned and, and someone never leave the house. You can be abandoned emotionally, physically, mentally. And so people say, well, that's from an unbeliever. Yeah, but if someone's acting that way, they ain't acting like a believer. So I, I question if someone's not willing and they're abandoning and they're mentally and physically and emotionally abusive and those type of things, let me say, first of all, if there's abuse, call the police. If a man's hitting, if a woman's hitting, call the police. Two, get your pastors involved. Get some counselors involved. 
Someone said, who's a good marriage counselor? Clark Stevens at Restoration Counseling, amazing counselor. Um, and, and so if you've been divorced, again, Jesus at the woman at the well, remember that when, he, when she, she comes to the, to the well and they begin to talk and he says, hey, she goes, she goes, I'm not married. He goes, yeah, you've rightly said you're not married. You've been married, listen to this, it's important. You've been married five times and the one you're with now is not your husband. Jesus makes a distinction between shacking up and being married. And listen to me, he counts every one as a marriage. He doesn't discount each one as not a marriage. And so I'm not saying that, oh, wow, let's just go get married over and over. But a lot of Christians say, well, if you've been divorced, it's not even a marriage, it's adultery the next time. And there's some verses that talk about that. But I think the heart of what Jesus is saying is, listen, the man can be guilty. The woman can be guilty. We want to take this seriously. You're in it for life. Like God put it together. Let's don't just separate. Let's treat it wisely. But let's, let's also know that there's instances and issues where, where divorce is biblically acceptable. If, if you've been through it, God doesn't hate you. And, and then someone asked, how can I re, remarry or how can I get back into a relationship? Let me say it this way. And I'm actually going to pray for us. I promise. I'm, this is my third land. I'm landing the plane. If, if, we've, if you've gone through divorce and you're facing some of those type of things, I would say you need a designated driver. So, so, so when, if you're thinking about dating again or getting remarried or maybe you're in the middle of those things, you know when someone drinks too much, none of you, none of you ever, but, but, but you need a designated driver. When you've gone through these kind of emotional things, your, your emotions are so high and so rampant, you need some designated drivers around you. You need some pastors and counselors, some leaders, some people that are actually responsible with their job to take care of your joy. Don't counsel search. Don't look for what the advice that you want. Get some leaders and people around you to help you. Is that good, everybody? Let me pray for you today. And I pray for joy. I pray for goodness of God to be in your life. Father, thank you for the goodness. Thank you for all the, the questions we have. Thank you that you are the main answer. <laughs> that you're the only answer, Jesus. That you're over everything. That ultimately you died and you speak mercy to us today no matter what we face or where we've been. Thank you that we're your kids. What manner of love is this that you've called us your kids? Lord, we give you our heart and our life today. We need you more than ever, God. We're reliant on you, and we want you to be the source of all that we are. We can do nothing apart from you. Give you glory and honor. Show us your goodness like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, give God praise this morning. I hope I helped somebody. Just kind of casual living room type environment. Real quick, if you are new to our environment, can we give our guests a hand real, real quick one more time? Thanks for being here. Come back next week. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And uh, we got a gift for you out in the lobbies. And then look, if you need prayer for anything, maybe you're not in the family of God. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you need to do that. You know that I've got to get right with God. Today could be that day. Our ministry team is down here. They'd love to pray with you and, and prophesy and believe God with you for anything you might need. Maybe I've hit on a subject or a topic and you need the goodness of God. Man, come down here. These guys are gonna linger down here and they're here to pray with you and pray for you and uh, believe God with you. And then every week we don't pass buckets. We can give as we go. You can give by the doors or online. Love you guys. Thank you for your generosity. We'll see you next week. I believe in God's goodness. It's gonna show up strong for your life this week. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.